This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we'll be talking all about the airline industry with Katie O'Brien of Goldman Sachs Research. But before that, we're going to get a quick markets update from Scott Rubner of Goldman Sachs Securities Division, who's watching five key numbers in markets right now. Thanks, Jake. The big number that I'm looking at this week is $671 billion. This is the amount of money market inflows since January 2019. We've seen equity positioning very defensive, following the risk off during the Christmas Eve of 2018. The wedge is something that we look at on our desk. It's the amount of money that was allocated to money markets and fixed income relative to equities. Last year, the wedge expanded by $1.5 trillion, which shows defensive positioning despite the rally in risk assets. In fact, in 2019, this was 2.5 times larger than 2008, which was the previous record. The number that has been getting a lot of attention in markets, but doesn't really tell us what we need to know, is 32%. Over the past 25 years, 32% of the full year's asset allocation takes place in January, the so-called January effect. We are entering a very strong period of January where the majority of portfolio rebalances takes place every year. Going back over the last 30 years, the first two weeks of January see 40% of monthly purchases and the second two weeks of January see 60% of monthly purchases. That's into 401k plans, 529 plans, and year-end bonuses. So for performance, Going back to 1985, the average S&P 500 return between January 1st and January 15th is 40 basis points. The average return for the S&P 500 between January 16th and January 31st is 80 basis points, so basically double the last two weeks. So far this year, we've not seen yearly equity inflows come back into the market given geopolitical tensions, potentially exacerbating the buying pressure for the last two weeks. The number that has moved a lot that has caught my eye is 350 basis points. Post the MSCI inclusion of A-shares into MSCI emerging markets, global mutual funds have the largest underweight of China exposure on record at 350 basis points. This is on AUM of $2.2 trillion, which gets to be about an underweight of $77 billion. 2019 was the year of repatriation back into the US from abroad, and 2020 may be the year of expatriation back into international equity, specifically emerging markets. Emerging market financial conditions are at six-year lows at the same time that our China current activity indicators rebounding. The number that I'm looking at in the future is $225 billion. Our buyback desk estimates that corporates will start the year with $225 billion worth of dry powder that was authorized in 2019 but not executed in 2019. Currently, 90% of S&P 500 corporates are in the earnings blackout window right now. Our blackout window ends January 31st just as the January effect flows start to fade. Our buyback desk estimates that full year executions will be $750 billion or the third best year on record. The number that I'm thinking about when I'm not in the office is three. I have three young boys that I, their favorite show to watch is Ryan's Toy Review on YouTube. Ryan, he's a seven-year-old host of the show and the highest earner on YouTube last year. My boys asked why they couldn't also review toys on YouTube, so my wife and I said, why not? So you may see me making slime or building Legos in the not-so-distant future. 
Thanks, Scott. Now on to the airline industry here with Katie O'Brien of Goldman Sachs Research, who's been covering this space for the past decade. Katie, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we dive in, just give us a quick intro about who you are and, and what you focus on here at Goldman. Sure. So I joined Goldman in July 2018. Prior to that, I was at another bank also covering the airlines and aircraft leasing companies. When I moved over to Goldman, took over the lead analyst spot here covering the U.S. airlines and U.S. listed aircraft leasing companies. And how did you start covering the industry? So a little bit by luck, I would say, um, was graduating college, had a position to start as an equity research analyst at another bank. The airline analyst there happened to have an open position. He sold me on it, told me that Everyone loves travel. Everyone always wants to talk to you with a good airline story. And uh, it's just an industry that face, touches a lot of different parts of the economy, fuel, business confidence, all that. Okay, cool. So what's the top question you're getting from clients? You talk to a lot of clients about what's ahead for the airline industry in 2020. So I might cheat and give you two. So first one being, will airlines be able to offset the cost inflation they're seeing across many parts of the business. So whether that's airports, maintenance, or labor expense, it's of particular interest this year because of the number of open labor contracts and the number of airport projects we're seeing across the U.S. right now. So just to give you some numbers around that, right now about 40% of the U.S. airline labor force is in open contract negotiations. This is a highly unionized labor force and so could be material as they work through that. And then on the airport space, I'm sure you've seen LaGuardia. A lot of construction. <laughs> yes, yeah. here in New York, LaGuardia, LAX, Seattle, to name a few. So quite a bit of expenses on top of mind for investors right now. Okay. And second question, as I'm sure you will not be surprised to hear, but what happens when and if the Boeing 737 MAX is recertified? Yeah. You know, we can't talk about airlines without talking about um, Boeing. Obviously, the grounding of the Boeing uh, 737 MAX is, had a big impact. You published research late last year about that. What's been the impact so far on the airlines? Sure. So talking through the financial impact for the U.S. airline industry, the system supply or capacity growth in the U.S. last year would have been about two percentage points higher than the 3% growth we actually saw. And that lower supply is all a function of reduced growth at the three impacted carriers who own the MAX. So that's Southwest, who had about 10% of their fleet grounded at year-end 2019, and then United and American, who both had about 4% of their fleet grounded. And so these impacted carriers have seen profits negatively impacted since the grounding. Airlines have made a lot of improvements in terms of reducing the overall percentage of fixed costs they have in this business, but they're still a relatively high fixed cost industry. And so as flights were canceled, many of those costs were still incurred. On the positive side, though, we actually believe that that lower supply we talked about has actually boosted revenue trends. So that's an unmitigated positive for carriers that don't own the MAX, like JetBlue or Delta. So really, to your first question, the question probably most, most on investors' minds is what will happen to revenue trends when and if the MAX returns to service? So as you think about forecasting revenues and top line, your teams come up with a composite index to track U.S. Airlines unit revenue or RASM? RASM. RASM. Oh, even better. <laughs> Briefly explain that to us and what, what it tells us and what it tells investors in the space. Sure. So we worked with the GS DataWorks team here at Goldman to create a proprietary unit revenue or RASM tracker. So we started with 33 macroeconomic or other industry data series and came up with a RASM tracking index that is highly correlated to RASM growth in the industry as we backtested this cycle. Also tracked right along industry RASM trends through the last recession. And the reason, the actual, the genesis of this was airline management teams have been reducing the frequency of revenue updates we get. And so we wanted to have something to track revenue trends on a more real-time basis. And so what kind of inputs are most determinative? So we came up with a two data point 
index, which includes hotel occupancy rates and oil. Huh. So any interesting takes that you've come up by looking at it in more real time way? Yeah, sure. So I think probably one of the most interesting takes that came out of this process was we think we've actually been able to demonstrate with data that the max is indeed boosting revenue trends this year. If we look back at the second quarter of 2019, that was the first full quarter without the max in service. And we saw the largest gap between our tracker and industry RASM trends. And industry RASM growth has actually been several hundred basis points higher than what our tracker would have predicted since the grounding of the max. Okay, so obviously this is an industry that's highly consolidated. Half the frequent flatter numbers I used to have don't work anymore. <laughs> so that, that's driven some better profitability in the industry, some better bottom line. How, how are the dynamics tied and what's, what's been driving the consolidation? Sure. So I would say consolidation, definitely the biggest driver of the profitability improvement we've seen, although there are, it's not the only driver. So the airline industry, still a very competitive one. Historically, when it was much more fragmented, the industry regularly went through periods of widespread bankruptcies. This was, of course, disruptive to airline investors, um, but also for airline employees who had to live through this boom-bust cycle with much less job security and often had to agree to concessionary wages to try to bail the company out. And then for the U.S. consumer, this period was also negative in terms of the industry's ability to reinvest in the product. So I think as we move through time, management teams wanted to dig themselves out of this boom-bust cycle, realize that there would be synergies to these mergers. And so today, where we stand, the top four players in the U.S. industry actually have over 80% market share in the domestic U.S. That compares to, you know, going back to the 90s, it was between 60 and 70% share held by the top four players. What's the industry view? Is there room for more consolidation or are regulators going to put a stop to it? So I, I think the investors view is there's potentially room for more consolidation, maybe not at the at the major carrier like an American or, or Delta level right now. But we've actually seen for the first time in a couple of years, a couple of new lower cost airlines spring up in the US. And how about internationally? Is the picture a little different there? Definitely. So over the past probably 10 or 15 years, we've seen the emergence of what's called an antitrust immunized joint venture. For instance, if you're a Delta flyer, they have an antitrust immunized joint venture with Virgin Atlantic, Air France and KLM. And that allows them to schedule and price on routes across the transatlantic. So in effect, almost a, a transborder merger. So related to improving margins, there's been a sort of decommoditization of um the U.S. airline product. Uh, talk about that and what, what might be next. Yeah, sure. So I think it really comes back to the improved profitability and cash flow in the industry over the last 10 years. The airlines are now actually to reinvest into the hard and soft products. And so if we think historically, you basically had two options, coach, business class. And the person who booked the furthest out typically got the lowest price and the best seat on the plane. Now, network carriers are moving to at least five product options. So that's basic economy. That'd be the definition of a soft product. Same seat you have as an economy, but maybe you can't pick the seat in advance and maybe you don't get quite as many frequent flyer miles. Next, regular economy, then extra legroom economy. And then we've got premium international economy, which has its own cabin and then business. Hmm. And so has that led to better uh, consumer satisfaction in the industry or... Yes. So that allows consumers to pay for only what they value and has also just expanded the different levels of service. And what we've seen is consumers are really willing to pay up for some of these products. For instance, the premium international economy I mentioned, consumers are willing to pay so far as it's been rolled out about two times the price of a regular economy seat for those seats. 
in light of the improvement in the industry and the, the tailwinds that it's facing, no pun intended, there's a debate about whether it's really different. I mean, as you said earlier, this is an industry that's lost investors' monies over the years. And so what makes us think that this cycle might be a little different and that the airlines might be healthier than they have been in the past? Sure. So I am, for better or worse, a believer that the industry is different this time. And But I should caveat, this doesn't mean I no longer believe it's a cyclical industry, because it most certainly is, given how economically sensitive travel is, especially business travel. Jake, you and I know, the CEO, one of the first things they do in a downturn is cut the travel cut budget. The travel, yeah. Yes. And so... I do think it's different. I think consolidation, as we spoke about, played a really big role. Also, we've seen, I kind of mentioned it a bit earlier, but we've seen an increase in the amount of variable costs in the total cost structure through things like employee profit sharing programs, increased use of aircraft leasing, increased ability to partner with regional airlines and outsource a little bit of that flying. So I think the combination of consolidation, that more variable cost structure, and then even the product differentiation we just spoke about, I think that's going to allow companies to better weather any future downturns or external shocks. And I probably shouldn't fail to mention that most of the industry has used the last 10 years or so of economic expansion to meaningfully delever their balance sheets and are therefore better positioned uh, when and if we see our next downturn. So Katie, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are frequent flyer members and track their miles. What's going on in that industry around frequent flyer miles? We've seen some evolution in how it's worked over time and some devaluation of some of the currencies, but, but how does it look like from the airline's perspective? Sure. So that's actually a big revenue driver and profit driver at the airlines right now. So for instance, Delta just recut their deal with American Express, and they're expected to do about $4 billion in distribution from Amex in 2019, and that's going to grow to $7 billion by 2023. And so these programs are definitely meaningful for the airlines. And while, yes, I think we've seen some devaluation, especially maybe on the credit card side in these programs, we've also seen the expansion of what you're able to redeem for. So for instance, many of the airlines now, you have the ability to use your points for an upgrade or a club pass or maybe even a soda on the plane. And and so I think consumers, while, yes, maybe a little bit of point devaluation, they're also seeing added ways uh, to use those miles and so increasing the value of it to them as well. What are, what are some trends that you're watching in the industry that might transform the industry even more over the next five to 10 years? So I think it's going to be the use of data both from an operational standpoint, in terms of predictive maintenance off airplanes, if you can, probably one of the most costly things is to have to cancel a flight last minute, drives costs in terms of rebooking, maybe a voucher, and then also on the maintenance side, an unscheduled trip to the to the maintenance shop is, is more costly than a regularly scheduled trip. So I think data coming off the airplanes is going to be big. So, Katie, are there some trends that you're looking at over the near term that could transform the industry even more? Sure. So I, I think that's going to be their ability to interpret big data, whether that's taking operational information off of the airplane to avoid unscheduled maintenance and all the knock-on impacts that has the cost structure, or to even further refine some of the pricing capabilities they have on the plane and have just more price points for more different customers or more soft products that customers are willing to pay for that they just don't have available right now. What was the last flight you were on? Sure. So that was my last flight. It was an American flight from Nashville back home to New York. Uh, my last business trip of the year on a Friday evening. So it would have been great to extend it into a personal trip, but didn't think of it in advance. Uh, so that's maybe something to work on for me in 2020. And any tips for the frequent traveler? Let's see. Or a favorite airline snack. <laughs> favorite airline snack. That's a tough one. Uh, so I'd have to say it depends a little bit on time of day, but probably a toss up between Biscoff cookies, a couple of the airlines serve. And then, of course, always a fan of the blue chips on JetBlue. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Katie. Thank you, Jake, for having me. 
That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And for more from Goldman Sachs experts, as well as influential policymakers, academics, and investors on market-moving topics, be sure to check out our other podcast, Top of Mind at Goldman Sachs, hosted by Allison Nathan, a senior strategist in the firm's research division. Thank you. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.